What's up, everyone? Welcome to Episode 7 of the Conflict News Analysis Podcast. For this episode, I am joined by my friend Frederico Mari. Frederico is a student at Rome University, La Sapienza, where he studies contemporary history. During this episode, we will discuss issues in Italian politics as well as foreign affairs. Hey, what's going on? All right, all right, man. We got it working. Let's go. It's perfect now. So, how you doing, man? Um, it's all right here in Italy. Uh, rainy day, quite busy day from Sudan to the failed attempt in Japan, but all right. And thank you, uh, and thanks for for inviting me today. Oh, of course, anytime. Uh, what, so, what's like the temperature like over there right now? Uh, feels like autumn. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so um, so you're quite studying strange, at quite Rome strange, University? quite strange for Italy. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're studying at Rome University, right? Yeah, Rome University, uh, La Sapienza, that is the biggest university uh, in Rome. We have three different universities. Oh, that's awesome. You know, the only time I ever was in Rome was just on a connecting flight because I went down to, to Sicily to visit my family. And I stopped off in Rome, just in the airport, just uh, waiting for the next flight. That well, was, Fiumicino, uh, Fiumicino or, or Ciampino? There are two main airports in Rome. Oh, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. No, but don't that worry. Was, that was back when, um, when Alitalia was still in business. Oh, I think Fiumicino then. Yeah, probably. That's probably right. So, yeah, so uh, so let's jump into it. Um, first, you know, I just wanted to ask you, uh, you know, we've talked about it before, but just for the listeners, um, you know, I just wanted to ask you, like, what's what's like, the you know, the political parties? Yeah. In Italy? Like, what's the system like there right now? Yeah, um, Italy is a parliamentarian republic and currently my country is ruled by uh, from center right to right wing coalition formed by the following parties. The first and most important uh, is uh, Fratelli d'Italia, Brothers of Italy, and is the party of our current prime minister, Giorgia Meloni. These are right wing party with post fascist tendencies due to its history. Um, it's the era of uh, the Italian social movement, Movimento Sociale Italiano, that is a post-war uh, neo-fascist party. Um, then we have uh, the League. Uh, it is a party once independentist and now nationalist and in crisis. Uh, in 2019 was the first uh, Italian party, but due to scandals, uh, uh, and difficulties inside the party, uh, it collapsed. And uh, the last uh, uh, party of the coalition uh, is Forza Italia, Go Italy, that was founded by uh, the media mogul Silvio Berlusconi, and which has dominated the Italian political scene for years, but now it is also in crisis as the league. And on the opposition front, we have three main parties, um, then there are also other minor parties that don't have much power. Um, we have the Five Star Movement, Movimento Cinque Stelle, that is, was previously a large anti-corruption tent party 
and now it's closer to left-wing issues. Um, is uh, currently led by uh, our former prime minister during the pandemic, Giuseppe Conte. Then we have the Democratic Party, uh, a classic centre-left party uh, here, at least in theory, uh, to the old Communist Party. And it was founded in 2007 by former communists and former Christian Democrats on the left. Um, I know this, this could sound some, um, strange, but Italian politics is strange. So uh, <laughs> you don't have to, to, you know, you don't have to, to be scared by, <laughs> by Italian politics. And finally, we have um, a small liber liberal federation called Action uh, Italia Viva, uh, led by former Prime Minister Matteo Renzi and one of his ministers, Carlo Calenda, uh, that is officially, officially a frontman of the party. Uh, however, uh, this party has recently entered a crisis, despite being born just a few months ago. And this is also a common fact in Italian parties. So there could be a split, but it makes little difference. They didn't matter much in terms of numbers. Oh, okay. I see. I see. So like with, with all those different parties, I mean, you know, kind of, I guess some are working together, right? Some are working against each other. I mean, you know, that's why <laughs> how does anything get done, you know? <laughs> that's why that's why Italy suffers from political instability. Uh, and and then um the fact is uh, they tend during the, the campaign to uh, to you, you know, um, due to its system and little attachment to duty of its politician, we suffer from political instability. And to give some examples, uh, we have France, that is a semi-presidential republic. So this means that there may be political crisis, but the stability of the system is guaranteed by the figure of the president. And Germany, on the other hand, is a federal republic. So in the event of a political crisis, current affairs in the area, in the states, are in any case guaranteed by the authorities of the lender. But Italy is a parliamentary uh, republic. Uh, so every time a political crisis stops the work of the government, forcing a change or new elections, uh, there is a serious damage, uh, especially for our economy. Um, foreign investors do not trust the system as withdraw their investments, causing economic damage. Laws change quickly, creating enormous bureaucratic problems and confusing people who cultivate a deep hatred for the political class. Uh, it is a fact that if before the Italians argued a lot to defend the politicians they vote for, now there is a great disaffection and many did not go to vote. Uh, during the last election in September 2022. Oh, so I guess, so that kind of makes sense how this party kind of got into power. Is that, does that kind of, you know, because like, has, has, has Italy had a right-wing party for a while? I mean, it's, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, the, the fact is, uh, um, first we have a classic center-right uh, 
led by uh, Forza Italia, that was the party of Berlusconi. Right, that yeah, did. I remember him. And now we have a real right-wing party, uh, so similar to, to do an example, the right we, we could find in Poland or Hungary. Okay. So and that is led by Meloni. Our president, our our prime minister. So how is how is this party like? Have things kind of changed? Have they changed policy on certain issues? Um, how has this affected um, you know like politics, mm-hmm. in, both domestic and foreign? Really. So actually, no, because uh, all this party tends to to form to create coalitions. So we have different influences between this party and things uh, doesn't, doesn't change at all. Uh, we, we have Meloni that during the campaign, for example, um, at the, um, did some promises about illegal immigration. They promised to, to do a, a major crackdown on illegal immigration. And the things are, are just the same right now. Uh, we have no control of the situation in the in the Mediterranean Sea, even if Meloni promises a sort of blockade against Libya and also and also Tunisia. There are the, the, the countries in in the Mediterranean Africa from which the, these immigrants depart to Italy. Right. Yeah, you know it's funny. I actually saw something today about um how like the, the immigrants that travel across the mediterranean it's like extremely dangerous to do that yeah it's true uh, in fact uh, the majority of these people died during uh, during their attempt to to reach the italian coast right so i guess so is that so is that like a huge problem in italy i guess the 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 migrant crisis yeah yeah um the fact is um we um uh, the fact is due to its geographical position uh italy is more exposed than other uh than other european countries to migratory waves um, the problems don't don't just stop at the landings and the need to manage immigrants uh, in the first place, but also concern the future in Italy. Um, we have um, problems with our economic situation. Italy has not grown steadily since the early 2000s. And in Europe, there are many Italians who choose to go to work in France, Switzerland, or Germany to have more opportunities. So we know integration is possible only through the economic factor, which is lacking uh, at this time in Italy. Let's give an example. Uh, in the post-war period, many people, Italians, uh, Spanish, Turkish, arrive in Germany, in West Germany, in search of a better future. And clearly, at the beginning, they experienced they experience difficult discriminations, you know, um, they did humble jobs, that li- they pay little, but already starting with the next generation, with their children born in Germany, who went to school in Germany, and who learned German, uh, they had higher levels of, of integration. Uh, Germany 
uh, in the post four years had a strong economic development and this favor from generation to generation adherence to German social standards. And the same, if we see, was true over time for those who emigrated to America. In Italy, this does not exist at the moment. So there has not been effective integration of many of the children, of the grandchildren of the first immigrants, except for those who arrived from other European countries, such as Romania or Albania, and some problems persist today with them. Many of these kids live badly, uh, are marginalized, turn into hooligans or drug dealers, causing problems for public order, and they have no future. Of course, there are exceptions. There are young people, new generation Italians who come from African, Middle Eastern, or Asian countries, who have, for example, excellent results in schools and university, and with these good prospects, good um, for their future. But today there are still exceptions, and it is no coincidence that many immigrants who arrive in our country are blocked in spite of their will by laws and bureaucracy because many would like to go to Germany, France, or maybe Sweden, where perhaps they already have relatives who can help them. Uh, many legal immigrants in my country are intercepted by mafia, which use them as slaves. Uh, in southern Italy, there are tomato or orange fields where they work for very little money, forcing to live in nearly in nearby slums, shanty towns. They are frankly slaves and they have no prospects other than to die of work in hope of sending their families the little money they managed to earn. And the fact is, politically, there seems to be no will to really change things. And I fear that in the future, the children and, and grandchildren of these people will one day ask us for all this in a similar way despite all the possible differences that what happened, what is happened now in, in America uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, this could be like, you know, years down the line, maybe, right? <laughs> yeah, like future generations. Yeah, yeah, they probably ask us why uh, we, we didn't do anything to protect their their ancestors, they are they are slaves right now in some parts of southern Italy, uh, in Sicily, uh, Apulia, Calabria. There are these big um, tomato and orange fields where they work, and they are frankly slaves. They are forced to live in shanty towns near uh, these fields, and they are controlled by mafia. Oh, I had no idea. I had no idea about any of that. And this is a terrible situation. Wow. And okay, so wow. So so all so all those workers are kind of controlled by different like mafia families around there or or how does that work? Well, um my mafia, mafia organization um, still exist and control many areas of the country, especially in the south. So uh, we know that in Sicily, uh, we had Cosa uh, in Calabria, the Drangheta, and they are organizations that include many families of different, pa different parts of, of a different region of, of our country. And it is necessary not to be deceived by stereotypes and historical mafia methods, because in order to survive, mafia change as time change. Um, 
these organizations know very well that the fewer acts of violence they commit, the less they will attract the attention of uh, the authorities and will be able to continue to manage their business, often in codes with corrupt officials and politicians, because we have, a, we have great problems with corruption in Italy. So, for example, drug trafficking, procurement management, control of irregular immigrants, prostitution, and of course, they still commit acts of violence, but they are much rarer than in the 80s and the 90s, during which Cosa Nostra, that is the Sicilian mafia, first faced an internal war that led to the rise of the clan of Corleonesi, so Totorina, Bernardo Provenzano, Matteo Messina Denaro, the, the most known names. Yeah, and the subsequent... I've heard of all those people. <laughs> and the subsequent war with the state, so the 1992 attacks against uh, Borsellino and Falcone, the 1993 bomb on Florence, uh, Rome, Milan, within which they were deviant um, parts of our secret service that collaborated or had done so in the past with mafia in the management of power over the territory. And today, the main mafia organization in Italy is no longer Cosa Nostra, that was rapidly decapitated by blitzes by the security forces, but the Calabrian Drangheta, which has expanded into various areas of the world thanks to alliances with other similar organizations. Oh, okay. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had no idea about any of that. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. The origins of mafia are debated uh, because this is an historical phenomenon of our country. And many believe that the origins can be traced back to the baronial mentality imported during the Middle Ages from the French minor nobility when the Angevines, with the help of the, of the Pope, replaced their own staff and family in the South. It is an historical phenomenon that will also start from brigand age and which from the unification of Italy to the present day has played a leading role in events. For, for example, Cosa Nostra would have been involved in the so-called Borghese Coup, Golpe Borghese. There was a coup attempt carried out by the far right in the 70s during the Cold War in anti-communist function and failed while it was underway in circumstances that have never been clarified. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. I had, I had no idea about any of that. Wow. We, um, we have a trouble, a trouble history, especially yeah. during the war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm learning a lot. Um, so, so I guess, uh, you know, with all these issues going on and, and you were, you were mentioned that, um, you know, Italy's economy hasn't really grown in a while. I mean, what do you think Italy's place in the EU is? I mean, because even with its economy not really growing so yeah. much, isn't it one of the bigger economies in the EU? Yeah, okay. uh, we are we are the third largest uh, European economy. So right. it, it, it's difficult to clarify Italy's role in the current European Union. Um Despite the obvious difficulties caused by the effects of the debt crisis in 2011, um, politically speaking, uh, uh, we have had great difficulties for, for years in making our voice heard 
in Bruxelles, in Brussels. Above all, because it is difficult to scratch the Franco-German axis, which dominates politically and economically the European Union. But I think that current times are showing how today's union is totally useless in the face of change uh, that we are seeing in the world. Um, before, in Italy, we looked at the French and the Germans and told they matter much more than us in the world. Then we could see the way Putin mocked Macron and Scholz shortly before the invasion of Ukraine and understood that despite Paris' attempts, we will only have a future in Europe uh, if we are firmly united in a sort of European superpower. In the absence of this kind of scenario, of this plan uh, for Italy, an alliance with its biggest partner outside Europe, America, remains essential. Um, I mean, it's difficult for, for example, for the French and also for the British to understand that today there is no more room to rebuild one or an empire. But I believe that after AUKUS uh, in September 2021, Paris uh, has understood... Uh, uh, the, sorry for the bad English, my friend. Sorry. <laughs> I believe also the French people has understood that you will recall that in 2021, the French complained to Washington about the failure of the Franco-Australian Treaty on nuclear submarines. Uh, in yeah. fact, when, when Macron went to Beijing, he spoke, he spoke not only on behalf of Paris, but also on behalf of Brussels, having Ursula von der Leyen, the president of European Commission, at his side. For this region, currently, um, I think that pretending to count in the current European Union is a waste of time, at least in my opinion. But the, the path that must lead us to the birth of a European superstate is also made of great difficulties because Macron dreams of a united and independent Europe, but he imagines that France will have, um, France will have a, a hegemonic role and the Germans clearly don't want to hear about it. Uh, it. It is not coincidence that af after Macron's visit to China, Scholz warned Beijing of serious consequences if he invades Taiwan. So Italy will inevitably be part of this type of project, but I don't see it possible in the coming years. Bearing uh, international shocks of enormous, pro of enormous proportions, so, such as a world war, or the collapse of a key ally like the United States. So the space for the creation of a third power are greatly reduced and it will be necessary to make a choice. And I think that Italy and Western Europe will inevitably side with Washington bearing surprises if China, for example, invades Taiwan. Right, right, yeah, I, I yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, like, just a little bit uh, off topic, like, what do you think the chances of, of China invading Taiwan are, like, in the near future? I think that it could be possible um, maybe in 2027, 2028, uh, not in the near future, uh, because I think that Beijing uh, is currently see. How is going on for Russia and Ukraine, and and probably this could this could have um, made some. You know, also 
uh, America in the Pacific is very active right now. Uh, we have seen that uh, the strategic ambi—I don't know—ambiguity, um, strategic, uh, strategic ambiguity. 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 Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Right now, we see that Washington uh, uh, is supporting Taipei in his effort to um, to defend for a pos from a possible uh, uh, Chinese invasion. So I don't think we'll see an invasion in the near future. But for example, uh, in 2027, 2028, it could be more possible. Yeah, I agree. I, I always, you know, people have, have said like 2025 or whatever. I don't think it would be that soon. Um, I think, you know, right now, yeah, you know, the, it seems like there's a lot of tensions there, but I yeah. don't think they would launch something like that till probably, yeah, you're right, like around 2028. Um, plus, I mean, if, if something like that was about to happen, I think we would see a massive buildup, like, you know, because we have a lot yeah. of surveillance on China and, and we would be able to see like, oh, wow, they're moving a lot of equipment and a lot of a lot of different weapon systems to launch an amphibious assault. So, and we're not seeing that right now. So yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, um, I think it's, it's going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit of time. I don't think it would happen in the near future. Um, yeah. I know everyone's worried about it, like happening in, in like a year or two, but I, I'm, a, I, I don't know. I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, it, there's a lot of tensions there, but um, you know, I have, we have to look at it realistically, you know, <laughs> Launching it, launching something like that is 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 a very you know intense military operation, and it would require a lot of firepower and a lot of a lot of different things to to go right. So I don't know, I don't know, I don't see it happening soon. Um, but yeah, no, I just wanted to get your opinion on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um. So another thing I wanted to kind of uh, ask you. Um, yeah. Is is there like a little bit of a kind of like a pro-Russian sentiment in Italy right now? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, and I think that this is undoubtedly uh, one of the most interesting topic of this episode because it allows us to give an overview of the most recent years of our national history. Um, in the early 2000s, not many Italians knew uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, the more observant knew that he had first been appointed prime minister, you know, by Boris Yeltsin, and then had taken his place in 2000 when the elderly president resigned. And our media um, naturally paid attention to situations such as the Dubrovka theater crisis, uh, the Beslan siege, the war in Chechnya. And, the and also the mysterious depths of opponents such as Anna Politkovskaya or Alexander Libinenko. But in Italy, most people knew Putin because he was one of the best friends of our former prime minister, Silvio Berlusconi. And as I said, uh, was a figure who dominated the Italian political scene for almost 20 years. So um, how we can explain the support that Putin had among many Italians? I think that the answer could lie in the economic crisis, which since 2011 has hit Italy. In difficult conditions and 
big disregard for Italian and European political class, uh, footages or also memes began to circulate on social media that glorified the figure uh, of Putin and the way in which he had revived Russian economy, the way uh, he could restore the status of superpower to Moscow. And a video, I, I remember um, a video that Putin arrives at a factory and harshly criticized the owner, the owner for endangering the workers' jobs. And you can imagine how viral this video had become and above all the message that made pass before the eyes of the less educated people, you know, of our of my country. Uh, one man succeeds where an entire political class of corrupt and ignorant people fails. And of course, this is propaganda and such that it does not show you the negative sides of everyday life in Russia. So poor economy or uh, crackdown on opponents. And when uh, in a swift operation uh, in 2014, Russia occupied and annexed Crimea. Many people uh, who had perhaps seen their living standards dam damaged by austerity measures saw the support that the European Union or America gave to Ukraine as a definite proof that Putin was right. So even today, there are many Italians who believe that Russia had every reason to invade Ukraine. And as in America, it is a paradoxical front form, formed by former communists or leftists and neo-fascists. Uh, the first are attracted by Russia's role as a post-Soviet legacy, and the second by the authoritarian methods or also the traditionalism of the president. Right, right. Okay, that's interesting. Um, do you, so I know that Italy has been, has been giving, you know, military aid and, and yeah. other forms of aid to Ukraine. Um, yeah, this what, is do you, what do you think this the longevity is of that is? Well, this issue is uh, rather divisive. Uh, most Italians say they are against military aid to Ukraine, fearing, uh, um, perhaps uh, exaggeratedly, that Italy could be fully involved in the war. Um, we do not have precise information on which weapons have been sent because, states, because of state secrecy. But statesmen by Italian and Ukrainian government uh, give us some information. So far, we can see that Italy has sent Stinger surface-to-air missiles, missiles, <laughs> anti-tank weapons, EV machine guns, MG-type light machine guns, and anti-EAD systems. But we have also reconstructions from photo and video from the front, document that documents arriving um, of. 155 millimeter self-propelled oysters, M113 track vehicles, 4x4 armored vehicles, the so-called Lynche, Milan anti-tank missiles, machine guns and mortars. And um, also the Italian French MTR defense system is expected to be sent. We are currently training Ukrainian soldiers in, in our country. So 
that's the situation. And most Italians say they are against military aid because they fear that Italy will be part of the war in the, in the near future. From a purely economic point of view, I, I read that Italy has contributed approximately with 390 million euros to the assistance, measure, to the assistance measures in favor of Ukraine um, because we have a European Peace Facility Fund uh, in Europe. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I was looking at the numbers. The United States has already spent over like 43 billion in Ukraine already on assistance. I'm like, man, that's a lot of equipment and a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, but, the, um, the, fact is, the fact is in, in Italy, we have from one side, uh, pro-Russian activists, uh, and from the other side, you know, uh, peace activists, uh, left-wing activists. It's, <laughs> it's a difficult situation to, to understand. They, they form a, a united front against the, the, the military aid that Italy gave to Ukraine. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of I kind of understand like the the you know, the people that worry about getting directly involved in a war with Russia. I mean, I, I understand that. But at the same time, you know, I mean, Ukraine does need, you know, military assistance for sure. Um, the, the, the fact is, um, Italians are not so expert on foreign affairs. Right. <laughs> they they, right. they prefer to 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 read about internal internal politics you know uh, internal affairs uh, they they fear that italy could be part of the war for for military or economically aid because they are not so uh, interested in in foreign affairs so they really don't know how how the things works uh, when the when these situations uh, when we had the situation so uh, this is also the first time since a while that uh, we have a full scale war in in europe uh, you see in the early 2000s italy was at war for example in afghanistan uh, in iraq but there was um, a far scenario for for italians for our public opinion and uh, now we have we have a war in our continent so people maybe are more scared of of, of all this yeah for sure uh, i mean largest largest scale war since world war ii on exactly the continent i mean that's a that's a crazy thought in 2020 in 2000 and in, in 2014 we have the donbas war and the annexation and annexation of crimea but now we we have a full scale war in Ukraine, so it, it's quite different. Yeah. So uh, you know, just uh, maybe a little bit off topic for Italian politics, but um, what do you think? Uh, like, what do you think the end game in Ukraine is? I mean, I know that they were talking about mm. um, launching a spring offensive soon, but I mean, how long? Like, I feel like this war could go on for so long. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Well, I don't think that Ukraine could um, take all the 
the territories that Russia conquered during this war. For example, I don't see Ukraine return to Crimea in the near future, but we have to also we have to see uh, what is going on in Russia because we are a sort of ongoing fight inside the Kremlin. Uh, so we have Putin, we have the Wagner Group, uh, um, different parts of a sort of internal conflict. Uh, and so we have, to, we have to, to see if Russia, uh, if Putin's Russia survived a sort of defeat in the war. I don't think that Ukraine could capture all the territories that Russia conquered uh, during during the, this invasion. Um, but uh, we, um, but really, I I don't know. I don't know in the, in the future what could happen, and also uh, in which way Russia could respond to um, to a major counteroffensive that Kiev could organize in spring or also in, in, in the next summer. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it would be very, very difficult for Ukraine to, I guess, get back all the territory it's lost so far, um, especially in Crimea. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't see that happening. We see, we see that Russian are uh, building up fortifications uh, in, in the shores they fear amphibious assault in the future. I saw that on the beach. They were building, <laughs> they yeah. were building like trenches on the beach. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, no one's going on vacation in Crimea this year. But... Seems, 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 like, seems like old Normandy fortifications. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's crazy. It's crazy how... <laughs> It's crazy how things are right now, right now over there. Insane. So I guess um, getting back to Italy, um, what, what do you think some of like the, the biggest potential threats are like right now and in the future for, for Italy? Yeah. Um, like other European countries, I think that Italy must pay close attention to terrorism both Islamic and politically motivated, because the rise to power of a right-wing coalition and also the, the decision to keep a former anarchist terrorist in our prison regime, the 41 Bis, have motivated insurrectionalist formation more to carry out actions that now are demonstrative, but which in the future can become attacks on people, such as police agents or judges because they made many threats. Um, from an international point of view, the main guidelines of Italian geopolitics, um, in my opinion, remain the Mediterranean and the Balkans. Um, the main interest of our country passed through these two geographically contiguous areas. Italy is widely present in Kosovo uh, and as a primary role in peacekeeping operations. And we have seen how the situation with Serbia could deteriorate very quickly. And Italy will inevitably be involved in the conflict. For example, in the northern part of Kosovo, 
there is a city called Kosovska Mitrovica and the Italian Carabinieri, so the Italian uh, military police, is standing on a bridge that separates the two different parts of the city, uh, the Serbian part and the Albanian part. Mm. And, and also controlling the situation in the Mediterranean, which ranges from energy interest to direct security issues, such as stopping illegal immigration or any acts of violence committed against Italian fishermen is strategic. But the Italian political class as a rule seems to ignore its importance and the country does not seem willing to make sacrifices in order to guarantee itself a security peri perimeter. And many Italians, I think, that simply don't understand that the war they lived in until a year ago is over, since the February of 2022. Many have not rationalized the experience of the pandemic. Uh, we were uh, the, the first European and Western country to be uh, hardly hit by the pandemic. And it, people here have suffered from it psychologically and others think that the conflicts exploding in the world do not concern them or that they do so only marginally. So for example, okay, maybe the Ukrainian war is scared because is scared because he's in Europe, but they maybe don't see uh, conflicts such as Taiwan or um, Israel against Iran as a threat for our security. And yet facing NATO's southern front, we are on the front line. Uh, it is believed, even if there is no clear evidence, that the increase in immigrant departures from Libya could be a pressure tool that Russia, through the Wagner Group that is present in, in, Cyrena in uh, Cyrenaica, so Eastern Libya, is using to uh, create problems to Italy and punish it for, for its support for Ukraine. Many Italians don't understand that Libya is strategic for our security, just to do an example. And in my opinion, in the future, a military, a military intervention in Libya could be inevitable, perhaps with the support of allies, which makes the, initi the initiative more acceptable also in terms of public opinion, because, you know, Libya is a former Italian colony, so maybe Italy entering alone um, Libya could, could be a problem for our public opinion. So I'm thinking on France and Greece, which will have their own reasons and interests to side with Italy. And these after Paris and Rome sabotage each other on the Libyan dossier to the benefit of the Russians that control uh, Cyrenaica and the Turks who control uh, Tripolitania, so the region of the Libyan capital, Tripoli, uh, Western Libya. Okay, interesting. So I, re so I remember um, when COVID hit, Italy was hit very hard because you guys have it's a a very old population, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's true. 
Yeah, I remember that. I, I was in Europe at the time. Um, I was actually, I was in Germany for, I was there for about 10 months. And yeah, I remember like on the news constantly uh, hearing about Italy, um, just getting, you know, uh, so many, so many cases and, and, and the older, and, older population was suffering. It was a dramatic situation back in the days. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what impact is that impact like still affecting the economy there? I mean, um, is, has that, has that still, you, are you guys still feeling that? Uh, well, from a, from an economic perspective, I think that our economy is still suffering, but more for the, for the European debt crisis of the 2011, um, I, we were a country that uh, had big economic issues also before the pandemic. Um, but this could be uh, problematic from, for some regions. You know, we are facing a demographic crisis. And you, you, you say that we have a um, very old population, and that is true. But I think that our demographic crisis has economic causes. Um, for example, when I was a child, therefore in the early 2000s, uh, our teacher explained, us, explained to us that Italy was a zero-growth country. So for every citizen who died, there was a newborn. But we were a, a richer country and the crisis hadn't hit us hard yet. And the people managed to start a family and have between two and three children on, on average. And after the outbreak of the crisis and also after the pandemic, and in addition with the problem of unemployment, which was still latent, we, now facing, we, we are now facing a, a big crisis, a big demographic crisis. Uh, our public debt, is still huge and back in the days we were forced into austerity measures that warns people living conditions so if in the early 2000s there were economic margins for starting a family uh, today it is no longer possible <laughs> and there are in my opinion uh, these are in my opinion the causes of our demographic crisis that are purely economic uh, the pandemic, the pandemic, may could be worse the situation, but bef also before COVID nine COVID nineteen, we uh, we were in troubles from this point of view. Okay. Uh, natu naturally, uh, from an economic point of view, the austerity measures have only revealed one problem: that of the debt problem, which we have been dragging on for years. Uh, we have the squandering of public money was a fact that had been happening in our country at, at least since the 80s. And also dramatic measures had already been necessary in our past, such as the forced withdrawal from banks' accounts in 1992. Oh, okay. Wow, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not tracking back uh, 92, but yeah, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah so okay so um i guess uh just to go off like topic again 
of Italy. Because I just want to get your thoughts on like you know other stuff going on. Um, you know what kind of what do you what are your thoughts about like you know what's going on over in North Korea? Um, you know the the Kim Jong Un regime is constantly you know testing different uh, nuclear capable warheads and different capabilities. Like what what do you think? Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? I think that back in the early 2000s, we, we made a, a mistake with North Korea. Um, we could prevent them to reach uh, nu- nu- nuclear power, in my opinion. Uh, I remember in 2003, sanctions against the Kim Jong-il regime, but now uh, they... They they are a, a nuclear a nuclear power uh, in Asia. So South Korea, America, uh, and also the Western partners in um, in in the Pacific, Japan, Australia, um, New Zealand, had to be prepared for a war in the future with North Korea. Yeah. In, my, in my in my opinion, um, <laughs> that's a fact. In, in my country, there were some right wing uh, representatives that visit North Korea and stated that <laughs> it was the, the the Asian Switzerland. They said, "Oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was <laughs> that was amazing." Oh my god. And, um, uh, representatives such as Matteo Salvini, that now is our minister, our uh, transport minister in the current Meloni cabinet. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> just, just to just to make you to make you know how politics works in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an insane thing to say. I mean. <laughs> You know, I've never been to North Korea, but I can, it's shocking. I can, I yeah, I can definitely say with confidence that it is not the Asian Switzerland. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, North Korea is interesting to me because I mean, you know, North Korea though itself really couldn't do much without the help from China. Um, so I don't know. I, I know that they're they like to flex a lot. You know, he. He likes to show his capabilities a lot, but I mean, I, I don't think they really could could make any move unless China said it was okay, which I don't think they China would say, you know. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think this, I think the same. The fact is, um, if to do an example, Pyongyang attacks Seoul, uh, we could we can expect a reaction from the United States, and. Even if nuclear power, Korea, North Korea is still inferior than Washington uh, in, mili- in military c- c- capacity, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It could, sure. be, it could be a sort of pokerist all in. Uh, you know, I always, it's, it's always funny to me, too. Like, if North Korea was to try to, you know, invade South Korea or something. Like, and the U.S. came over to fight. Like, I don't 
I don't think it would be like, I don't know. All we'd have to do is like feed the North Korean soldiers good food. I mean, they can't be getting good food over there. They can't be getting good health care, good nutrition, you know? Like how many, how yeah. a lot, right? I mean, outside, outside Pyongyang, they say that people are starving in, in North Korea. Yeah, I, I, can't yeah. Imagine, I can't imagine that their ground force is, is, really, is really that great. I mean, I don't know. I, I remember seeing a video um, and they, of Vector. As you said, they like to flex our power in parades. Quite, quite common factor in dictator, dictatorship country, you know. Uh, also, also East Germany to do a comparison with Europe at the same, uh, the same things. They were starving outside big cities as Berlin. Right. So, right. Yeah. So they, they had they had in the Soviet Union they their most important partner, but also in the Soviet Union the situation was difficult at the time. You know, um, during the Brezhnev time, especially with austerity measures uh, in the Soviet Union. And I think China is richer than the older Soviet Union. And I think that they probably help North Korea with uh, food supplies, you know, medical supplies during, during the fight. Maybe not be directly involved because they are currently uh, preparing the concentrate their, their focus to Taiwan. So maybe be involved in another conflict in Asia, could be could be a problem for Beijing. Yeah. It can be Yeah, for sure. I know yeah, I I, I know she is he he's, tries to be strategic and I don't think he would be cool with the North North Korea just invading South Korea. I don't think he would he would let that happen. In all honesty. Um yeah, so um, you know, Besides what we talked about, you know, is there anything else important that you want to talk about, like as far as with Italy? Because you know, I'm, I'm not super knowledgeable on, on like you know, issues going on in in Italy right now, and and uh, you know, I'd love to learn more if you, if there's anything else you want to important you want to talk about. Yeah, um, I think that underway the our right wing coalition is trying to change the constitution to create, um, to make Italy um, a presidential republic, uh, for, for example, no? And as I say, as I said, uh, laws in, uh, in, in Italy change quickly and creating enormous bureaucratic problems. Um, many of the reforms proposed to change uh, our system conceal the political interest of those who propose them, both on the right, uh, for example, in 2006 with Berlusconi, there, there was a um, project that um, asked Italians if they want Italy to, uh, to be a federal republic. And also in 2016 uh, with the center left and these projects were rejected because uh, these projects um, conceal political interests 
Um, in 1970s, uh, this is um, this is an interesting fact of our history. In 1970s, during the Cold War, Italy was in danger of suffering several coups, often by the extreme right. However, in 1974, former conservative partisans tried to pressure the authorities through the army to transform Italy into a presidential republic, but they were discovered. And public opinion calls it the white coup, Golpe Bianco, and perhaps in hindsight, also considering that the proponents were censored Democrats, people who fought against fascism in Italy and also in Spain during the civil war with the international brigades. In my opinion, Italy would have been a more stable country if it succeeded. But I want to clarify this is just a personal opinion. Uh, as I said, France is a semi-presidential republic and this is still a democracy. Uh, the fact is that um, the reforms that our political class propose are made in order to protect their political interests. So the Italian people reject them. We, we are in a sort of loop uh, from in this situation, you know. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I think that instability and corruption are our biggest problem in internal policy in our country. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that goes on here too. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, uh, you know, actually, I, I came across another article today. I saw um, the prime minister of Italy was talking about investing more in Africa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I came across uh, something about that in Somalia and somewhere else. I can't remember where. In, uh, in, in, in Ethiopia also. Yes. Yes. You know, uh, Somalia, Ethiopia, uh, Eritrea uh, formed the older Italian uh, Eastern Africa during fascism. Yes. So they, were, they were Italian colonies and also Somalia remained under Italian control until 1960. Right. So, uh, so these are strategic areas for our interest in Africa, such as France. You know, France have um, Alger Algeria, um, uh, Belgium as Congo, uh, the Great Britain as uh, uh, um, Western Africa. Uh, so Kenya, for example, and Italy have the. Uh, the Italian uh, uh, Eastern Africa that is called AOE, uh, Africa Orientale Italiana, uh, AOE. Um, and you know, especially in Ethiopia, we gave a lot of support to President Abiy Ahmed, uh, especially in 2019. You know, uh, Ethiopia suffered from instability due to the situation in Tigray they have a sort of civil com a civil war uh, and Italy probably support Ethiopia uh, in uh, the war against the, the Tigray rebels. And we also are involved in a big project uh, in the Nile for the, for the, from, for the construction of a big 
Um, uh, I mean, I have. <laughs> I don't know diga in uh, in English. Hmm. Just a moment. Yeah. <laughs> A big, a big, a big dam, a big dam okay. in the Nile, on the Nile. Right, right. That Italy uh, is now um, is part of the construction project in Ethiopia. So we have uh, economic issues in the area. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I came across that earlier. I thought it was interesting. Um, glad I got your thoughts on it. Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, anything else you want to share? I mean, I'm all ears. I got time, and and it's very interesting about the history of Italy and. and... Uh, we we could um, we could see our history during the cold the Cold War because it's very interesting. During the Cold War, yeah, for sure. Uh, we have, as I said, coup attempts. Uh, we have the years of lead um, terrorist acts that was also covered by our state, our secret service. Uh, Italy has a troubled history in the Cold War. Yeah. For example, in, in 1978, uh, our former prime minister, Aldo Moro, uh, that was the, the leader of the Christian Democrat Party, was kidnapped and killed by communist terrorist uh, Red Brigades, Brigate Rosse. Wow. Holy crap. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a big trauma for our, for our country. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, wow. Um, we, still, we still commemorate to, at this day uh, the 78 days of uh, the kidnapping and killing of Aldo Moro. Wow, and and he was he was the prime minister at the time. No, it was the the Christian Democrat leader oh, at the time. Oh, oh, sorry, yeah, Christian Democrat leader. That's right. Okay, wow, crazy. Yeah, we have um, terrorist attacks such as the nine the nineteen eighty bomb in. Bologna train station. At this time, uh, we still we still doesn't know um, who really ordered the attack. Wow! Still don't know. Is a uh, one of the biggest Italian secret of our republican history. Wow! Is there? Does anyone have like maybe a guess? Who, who did it or it is involved yeah yeah we we had a lot of guests but it, it probably involved um a secret lodge a masonical lodge called p2 propaganda 2 and this structure um had a big power in in italy during the cold war they also made a a coup attempt in the eighties, and they they infiltrated police, the military, the government, uh, also journalists, and this is, is probably one of the biggest secrets of our history, and probably propaganda too, mafia, uh, 
right-wing neo-fascist terrorists were were involved in all this um, situation in, in in the attack in Bologna in in 1980. Oh, wow! Yeah, I'm gonna have to look into that propaganda too. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look into that. That's crazy. The the master of this organization was Licio Gelli. If you want to do some uh, research about this uh, about this man, and this was uh, a fascist, but also a partisan, and also a secret agent. Um, he probably works with British secret agent after and during and after the the Second World War. He ex uh, he escaped from German prisons, uh, and he became a powerful man in post-war Italy. Wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look yeah. into that. <laughs> you probably do a whole <laughs> podcast on just that. <laughs> so yeah, man. Um, I mean. Yeah, I, I appreciate you you taking the time today to talk with me, especially since you're uh, you're in Italy, so the time did. Um, uh, don't worry, don't worry. And thanks <laughs> for for inviting. So uh, thanks for so, inviting. Of course. So real quick, just uh, you know, shout out your social media so like people can follow you and and stuff like that. Yes, I have a little um, Intel information page on Instagram. And it's called Imminence. And we also collaborate with Conflict News Analysis uh, on Instagram. So uh, if you want, you probably find that easily. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm going to definitely shout you out. I love your page. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I always, I'll, I'll always like be scrolling through your stories. Like some, a lot of it's in Italian. So I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like learn my Italian a little bit. So. <laughs> Because the last time I was in Italy, my cousin told me the next time I come back, I better know some Italian. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going back in October to visit them. So I need to I need to start, you know, learning. I need to start getting better. <laughs> I, I hope the story, the stories in Italians could be helpful. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely going to try to read those. Yeah. <laughs> I do, I do like, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's Duolingo. It's like that app where you try to learn different languages on. I have Italian on that and I'm trying so hard, but I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, the, the fact is Italian and, and English share some words, but they are different, very different languages. For example, I, I have some difficulties to, to talk fluently English. And and but and it's really good though. Oh, <laughs> thank you, man. No, and, I'm, I'm I'm serious. I mean, you you know, for a guy that is in Italy right now and lives in Rome, I mean, your English is very good. Like, I can understand what you're saying, no problem. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I know I know that for for English speaking people, Italians and also French will be uh, difficult to learn. Yeah. No, yeah. But, you know, we, we got to try. <laughs> so let's so, do uh, Did you learn English in school? Yeah. 
Yeah, since the elementary since the elementary school. Oh, they teach it. Okay, because my family in Sicily, like my cousins, knew English, but my older family, like my older cousins and my aunts and uncles, like they didn't really know English that well. So yeah, um, in the past, in Italian schools, Italy, uh, in 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 our um, schools, in the past, uh, English was not. Um, you know, was not present in the pro in the programs in the scholastic in scholastic problems. Uh, you know, you know, <laughs> I have yeah. some difficulties to explain that. Uh, we probably uh, were the last country in Europe to introduce English lessons, English classes in our schools. Uh, okay, yeah. When I was when I was over in Europe. Um... Because I'm in the military, so I was I was over in Europe for a few months, and um, yeah, when I was in Germany, everyone in Germany spoke English, and not yeah. only did they speak English, they spoke it better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness! <laughs> I have I have a friend of of British descent that say that in Holland, in the Netherlands, people spoke English better than in Britain. Oh, I believe it. That, that's incredible. Yeah, I believe it. When I was in, so I was in Belgium too for a month and they spoke perfect English there. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Belgian people have to, to speak a sort of international language. You know, they, in the North, they, they speak Flemish, yes. in the South French, uh, in the eastern part, also some German, so English is probably uh, necessary in yeah, countries like Belgium. They got really good beer over in Belgium, too. I remember, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I remember <laughs> loving the beer up there. I was like, oh, this is great. Bel Belgian beer are famous around the world, also in Italy. Hey, we have, know. for example, Greenbergen beer from yeah. Belgium. In our what? No one's got better food than the Italians, and that's just a fact. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> it's part. It's part of our soft power in the world. The food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's. So I had gone to Sicily for Christmas, and one of my family members was like, "Oh, it, it was funny." He was telling me, "He's like, oh, you know, you Americans, you eat." So you can survive, so you can live. You eat so you can live. But in Italy, we live <laughs> to eat. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I thought that was funny. I was like, oh, man, that's great. <laughs> yeah, pro probably in Italy, uh, Italian people see American food such as McDonald's, you know, Burger King. So uh, there's a, a great difference between our country, our nations. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, every day I was there, you know, a homemade dinner was amazing. All the food was like perfect. But, you know, something else, too, though, about Europe uh, in general, the food standards are much more strict than they are in, in the U.S. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what the hell is going on in, in the U.S., but like the food standards, the food is so much more fresh in Europe. Like when I was over there, everything, it just tasted it tasted better, you know, the food tasted better. Here in the States, they put a lot of chemicals and preservatives in the food. And I think that's a big part of why a lot of people just 
are obese in this country, you know? Of course, you know... Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, you know, of course, like, some of it is... It could just be, like, you know, people being lazy, they don't work out, they're they're not active. But I I, I don't know. I think think a part of it, too, is is a lot of those chemicals in the food could be leading to, you know, people, people just being overweight. So, I don't know. Just a theory of mine, but... Something I think about. It could be. It could be. Could be. Yeah, well, thanks, man. Thank you for your time. I I appreciate you coming on. Um, I'll I'll probably have you on again sometime in the future. You know, we'll... we'll Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for for inviting me again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Have a good one. See you later. See you later.